You're listening to the Bright City Podcast. To hear more about our gatherings, groups, and what's going on in the life of our church, visit brightcity.church or follow us, Bright City Church, on Instagram. Today's message is from a friend of Bright City, and we know you're going to love it. Hello, Bright City. If I haven't met you, I'm Deb Hopper, and I volunteer on staff here at Bright City and lead spiritual formation. What a beautiful weekend we've had, right? I love it when the weather forecasters get it wrong. We are in a series that Pastor Nick and Jess have led us in for the past few weeks, and it's called You Have Heard It Said. This series addresses the things that culture tells us one thing, but then when we line it up against Jesus and God's Word, it tells us something different. They have covered topics like you should give up, You have heard it said the church is the problem. And last week, Pastor Nick spoke about loneliness and how sometimes we accept that as a given in our society these days. So this week, they asked me to speak on another culturally accepted phrase that we hear a lot, which is, you do you. We've all used this phrase occasionally, right? And usually in a spirit of allowing individuality or acceptance of someone's choices being different from our own. But I had to Google the phrase to just to make sure I understood understood what it meant. And this is what the internet told me. You do you is used to say that someone should do, first of all, what they enjoy most. Second, what suits their personality. Or third, what they think is best. Now, when I read that definition, I was immediately convicted about a time that I recently applied these words over my life and then God corrected me. You see, it was January 1st of this year, and the adults in our family gathered around the fire pit to talk New Year's goals. We're a big goals family, and I've always been a goals girl. But this year, I had not spent any time praying about my goals or asking God about them. I just took some fun projects that were already on my mind and stretched them a little. For example, I wanted to spend more time fishing with my friend Gabby, who leads worship here. So I stretched that to also include fishing with the grandsons. Gibson gave me a fishing pole for Christmas, and it was the next thing on my list. Cute, right? Well, let's look at the parts of you do you and see how a kingdom perspective on each of those might cause us to have a different outlook. The first definition was you do what you enjoy most. We live in Charleston, South Carolina. It was just voted the South's best city for 2022. We have relatively warm temperatures all year. We have a phenomenal food and beverage scene. There's water everywhere, beaches, boating, rivers, virtually any outdoor recreation you can think of. We have hundreds of years of history. We know this, right? Many of us chose to live here because of the environment. But what would Jesus say and what did he say about enjoyment? He certainly enjoyed life. He had children around him. He went fishing a lot. He went to weddings. There were always people with Jesus. But I think we can learn something about what he was teaching the disciples about real joy from a passage in Luke 10 verses 1 through 9. Turn with me in your Bibles because I think this is a passage we're going to want to come back to again and again. So Luke 10, verses 1 through 9. 
After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Now we're going to skip down to verses 17 through 20 because this is where the real teaching that Jesus was giving the disciples starts and what I want us to focus in on today. Verse 17, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In another version, verse 20 says this, However, your real source of joy isn't merely that these spirits submit to your authority, but that your names are written in the journals of heaven and that you belong to God's kingdom. This is the true source of your authority. You see, Jesus knew and was trying to teach them and us that enjoyment is one thing, but joy is a whole nother level. Enjoyment will be fleeting if we try to hang on to a moment. Even something as beautiful as a sunrise or a sunset on the beach or a really good brunch on a patio when you scored the right reservation. That might bring us enjoyment in the moment, but it will pass once the photo has been posted on Instagram or when the brunch is a distant memory. Another reference I have for true joy or lasting joy comes from being a mother of three girls. How many parents are among us today? Yes, a good many. I can tell you that for many women my age, the scripture they cling to and pray as their goal is found in 3 John chapter 1, verse 4. I could have no greater joy, no greater joy than to hear my children are following the truth. You see, when we know this, when we know that our children are following the truth, parenting becomes a very minor part of our days. Our parenting becomes mentoring. That's what Jesus was trying to tell the disciples. Your joy is not because the demons obeyed you and you walked into some mystical spiritual authority. No. He said your real source of joy is that your name is written in heaven's journals and that you belong to God's kingdom. That's a joy that lasts beyond how many likes you got on a sunset post. Another passage that I memorized at an early age, but I seem to have forgotten when writing down my 2022 goals was Psalm 37.4, Delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. So, if you do you tells us that we should do what we enjoy, I think as Christians we have to take that a step further and redefine joy. 
because I don't know about you, but I want the sunsets on the beach and some good dining experiences. But I also want joy that will last beyond a moment that's dependent on perfect weather or getting the right reservation. The second thing that you do you causes us to look at differently is doing what suits your personality. On the surface, this sounds good, but let's break it down a little. First, we have an endless supply these days of ways to define our personality. I want you to think about it and raise your hand if you've ever taken one of these tests when I mention them. The most recent one to sweep the nation is the Enneagram numbers. The most basic test is ones that determine if we're introverts or extroverts. There's also the Myers-Briggs assessment, spiritual gifts test, strength finders, working genius, and the DISC survey. These are just a few. Believe me, in my 25 years of corporate and ministry life, I've done all of these and a few more. These assessments are interesting and can help us know more about how we are wired and where we have strengths or how we thrive. But the wisest test administrator, I think it was when a team of us took strength finders, told our team one time, don't let these tests define you. Where it notes your strengths will give, only give you one slice of the pie. Jesus was the whole pie. So instead of camping out in our personality assessments, we should look for ways to round out, grow in other areas, or stretch beyond the definitions. For example, I always test as a high introvert. I can acknowledge that large social settings are draining to me and I need alone time to recharge. But if I stay true only to this assessment, I would never want to be around people. I know that's not God's best for me. Jesus was probably an introvert at heart too, but he still moved among crowds. He fed the 5,000 after preaching and he kept 12 disciples by his side, continuously talking to them. Another way we can let our personality lead us to do what suits is when we become defined by our past. For example, from our families of origin or past hurts and wounds. I can say, my father was an alcoholic, therefore I will most likely always struggle with alcohol. Or, my grandmother suffered from depression. It's just in my genetic wiring. Or, I'm a product of a broken family. So having a great marriage is statistically not going to happen for me. If anyone said that to you about themselves, you would say, no way. You can change. You can change the destiny of your life. Yet we say these things over ourselves, don't we? I find myself saying many times, I'm an Enneagram 3, an achiever. So I'm going to be quick to go for task over people. Really? Really? Is that what God says about me? No, God says in Psalm 139 that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, that he formed my inmost parts. My frame was not hidden from him. In Galatians 3, we hear that in Jesus, we are all sons and daughters of God through faith. We are daughters of the King. You are a son of royalty. It even tells us later in Galatians 3 that we are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise he received. That's a better definition than anything I could say over my own personality or background. I like the idea of being royalty, an heir, and known by God, don't you? 
So when we think about this second part of you do you and that we can do what suits our personality, let's redefine ourselves according to what God says about us. The last definition of you do you is that we do what we think is best. As part of the information generation, we have anything we need to know just a keystroke away on Google. I have a funny story. Do any of you ever play the Google history game? Well, our daughter Jess loves to play that and spring it on us at a moment's notice. A couple of years ago, the girls, the daughters and I were in New York City for a long weekend and we had gone to see Wicked on Broadway. It was incredible. And after the show, we were enjoying a nice meal in a cafe when Jess pulled the Google game on us. Said, pull out your phones, tell us the tell everybody the last three things you Googled. Well, I was incredibly embarrassed that my last Google history was, is Wicked a true story? (laughs) Yeah, that really happened. But you see, my grandparents and probably your great or great, 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 great grandparents didn't have it so easy. They had to ask, they had to search, and they had to wait for answers on everything. I don't think they were as confident in knowing But we're experts at everything, right? At our fingertips, we have news feeds, COVID data, Ukraine and Russia conflict, information, weather. Well, most of the time the weather's right. We have recipes. We have finance information. We have parenting advice. Any news or instructions we need are as quick as our internet speed, which is not all bad. I use several online sources and Bibles to write this message and probably half the time someone from another generation would have been able to. So I'm not trashing the internet. I use it daily. But I think that spirit of all knowing leads us to believe the third part of you do you, which is we know what we think is best. This is where I was deeply convicted about my 2022 goals. I had quickly jotted down some fun, slightly challenging goals based on, number one, what I enjoy most, two, how my personality is wired, and three, what I thought was best. But God has a way of getting our attention when we're off track, right? I told you that on January 1st, we shared goals around the fire pit. Well, on January 2nd, I woke up with COVID. It was relatively okay, just a week of heavy head cold, flu symptoms, and lots of chicken soup. But about two weeks after I recovered, I noticed a continual ringing or whooshing in my right ear. When the tinnitus didn't go away, I went to an ENT only to find out that I had 65% loss of hearing in my right ear. Suddenly, my fishing goals were not as critical for 2022. Now I was on a wellness journey that included lots of vitamins, shots into my eardrum, prescriptions, a low-sodium diet, and lots and lots of prayer. You all prayed for me after a service one Sunday, and I believe that God is healing me. But what I've found to be true in this season, in this journey, is that instead of listening to TV and podcasts and music like I normally do, I've spent a lot more time reading my Bible. In January, I started reading through Psalm 119, 
It had always fascinated me because it's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's right in the middle of the Bible. Plus, one of my favorite verses is in that chapter. Psalm 119 is written much like a poem, really an acrostic with 22 sections as a labor of love by Ezra, the priest and scribe. So, finding I had more quiet time, literally, and rest in my days, I took each one of the sections and searched, journaled, prayed, and learned more about God. The most interesting discovery I made, this one chapter of the Bible seems fixated on precepts. Precepts are mentioned 72 times here. And precepts, in case you're wondering, are a general rule intended to regulate behavior. I don't know that I had ever searched or thought about precepts for my life and my living before. Now, suddenly captive to my headphones, Bible, and journal, I was convicted about how many precepts there are in God's Word. You see, Ezra was passionate about the fact that God is the active agent in wisdom giving. But me, in my all-knowing state, forgot to ask God about what he saw for my days ahead. Google can teach us what is true, but it cannot make us realize what is wrong in our lives or when we need a course correction. God's word is the only source we need for wisdom. Let me repeat that. God's word is the only source we need for wisdom. We just have to stay in it. I know my stage of life is different from most of yours. Gibson and I have already done the heavy lifting of juggling career, parenting, caring for aging parents. And now in retirement, we could spend all of our days fishing or traveling the world. If I follow you do you, what I enjoy most right now is isolation from noise and people because even the acoustics of this room make my ear blow up. What suits my personality is introvert time and gardening or reading or fishing. And what I think is best is based on how I feel when I wake up on any given day. But there's no lasting joy in any of that. Just like the story I read from Luke 10, my greatest joy comes from doing kingdom work here at Bright City and contributing to kingdom work around the world. There is a deep and abiding joy that comes from volunteering on staff here and seeing people grow spiritually. As I watch each one of you see the light, be the light, and shine the light, that takes root as more joy than I could ever match in a beach sunset or a brunch. I can also be a missionary to the world right here. As you know, Bright City has encouraged us to follow and pray for a church in Ukraine. The church is Urban Bible Church. They are located right outside of Kiev, and the pastor is doing a fantastic job posting on Instagram and Facebook. You can follow them by searching Urban Bible Church. I'm so humbled daily at how they are feeding, sheltering, and evacuating people in the midst of war adding them to my prayers, giving, and encouraging them online brings me joy in the midst of this horrible conflict. And I'm forever grateful that when I take the time, or I get benched with some extra time, and ask God, He shows me in His Word how to correct my thinking. One other bonus of studying Psalm 119 during my quiet time 
was learning more about my favorite verse in that chapter. Verse 105 in Psalm 119 has long been a favorite and one that I thought I knew the depth of until just recently. The verse is, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I learned many years ago that the reference in this verse for lamp is for the lanterns they strap to their sandals. Because without street lamps, people of Ezra's days had to depend on these candles to take the next step after sundown. So based on my prior study, I thought this meant that God's word would help me only on my next step. But during my noise cancellation hiatus in the Bible this past month, I learned that the Greek word for lamp unto my feet, ner, N-E-R, is a single candle. But the second half of that verse, a light unto my path, the Greek word for light is different. It is weawer, which means a floodlight. God's word can be both. It can be just enough light for the next step, or it can be a brilliant floodlight for our path ahead. Needless to say, I'm rewriting my 2022 goals, and I'm using God's precepts in the Bible as my guide. Instead of believing you do you, I'm now asking, what do you want me to do, God? Can I challenge you to do the same? If we're going to shine the light, we need his lamp and his light for the days ahead. Amen. Thanks for listening into Bright City. If this was encouraging, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're an owner at Bright City, you can give online at brightcity.church or on Venmo to Bright City. Before you go, we'd love to speak this benediction from Matthew 5 over you. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We love you, Bright City.